Hello, good evening, and welcome back wherever you are. You're listening to Range Anxiety, the automotive podcast that brings you 30 years of my automotive experience in 30 minutes, once or these days, more like twice a week. Now, I had to make this episode because of the feedback. That's right, people are actually sending me emails to dtech at senet.com.au. That's dtech, D-T-E-C-H, at senet, S-E-N-E-T, dot com, dot A-U. They're asking me questions. Now, a lot of the questions are about, Martin, should I buy this? Should I buy that? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Now, as you all maybe probably know by now, I have some pretty set opinions on things uh, that I like about cars and things that I don't. And I get asked a lot about uh, European cars mainly in collector's cars. Yeah, I have collected a couple of cars over the years from time to time and had a bit of fun with them. But without doubt, the most uh, topical of the collector's cars at the moment would have to be Porsche product, specifically the 911. Rear-engine, classic, iconic, iconoclastic, absolutely fantastic bit of gear. Sometimes, <laughs> you can tell there was always going to be a catch there. There's never a Range Anxiety podcast without a catch. And yes, I've owned quite a few of them. Actually, at last count, probably about six over the years. I've never really got that engaged to them, though, or with them. Yes, I've driven them. No, not much. Uh, why did I buy them? Mainly just to buy and sell. However, I think everyone has to do the 911 thing at, you know, in, in some way, shape or form at some stage in their life or they really don't know what they're talking about when it comes to cars. So strap in, buckle up and listen to this edition of Range Anxiety, which I've aptly named Whale Tail. Okay, let me get straight to the point here. Porsches fall into three categories, and they are anything from 1999 onwards, anything from 996 onwards. As, as a Porsche specialist mate of mine once told me, it took them that long to work out how to make air conditioning to work. And, you know, I'm going to get people in the background going, Martin, I don't, I don't give a shit if the air conditioning works or not. That's not why I'm buying a Porsche. But it wasn't just the air conditioning. There was a heap of other things like general wiring and, and just things in the car that the 996 signified a big move away from traditional Volkswagen-based Porsches, as I like to call them, and into something good. So 996, 997, 991, and all of the iterations from there on in i absolutely love them and yes i have a soft spot for most of them you know i've got a friend with a uh a gt2 rs current spec and yeah absolutely wonderful and just even the conventional turbo all-wheel drive 911 is or 991 992 whatever they're called now there's so many numbers now it just doesn't make sense absolutely fantastic car and of course the gt3 you can just thrash the thing every day, all day, and not have a problem with it. You know, they're just a bulletproof car in a lot of ways. Their race cars, fantastic. You know, they, they just just get in, drive for a season, providing no one runs into you. Uh, you know, you've got fixed costs. They're just, they're an incredible car and super, super fast. They're much faster than, you know, their power to weight or their stats on paper will ever show. Now, they're the Porsches that I do like. Um... Anything with a front engine, 
you know, I'm going to upset a few mates of mine here, but yeah, I, I just find them horrible. Um, it's not a Porsche, you know, it's Porsche's attempt to be something that they should have never been. It's like every time I see a new Bentley four-wheel drive, you know, SUV driving down the street, it's like, Bentley, why are you doing this? You shouldn't be doing this. Or even another really capable, really great car, the Lamborghini Urus, like, why are you doing this? Don't do it. And nothing hits home, actually, for those of you that are old enough to remember the movie Scarface, one of Pacino's finest, he takes Michelle Pfeiffer out, the boss's wife or girlfriend, to impress her, and he takes her down the local Porsche dealership, which is absolutely littered, littered with 911s, and puts his money down on a 928. Personally, I can't think of a more horrible car that did more damage to Porsche in their reputation as a sports car builder than anything else. It was just a horrible boulevard cruiser. Sure, they refined it as Porsche do, and it, towards the end, it became quite a quite a substantial supercar. But, oh my goodness, that was not the right thing for Porsche to be doing. And Porsche actually realised it very, very quickly too, and got rid of all of that crap and got back to doing what they do best. Caymans, Boxsters, they have a place too. They're good. They're they're not part of the front engine thing, and of course they're not front engined. I put them more in with the later 911s. And then there's the third segment, which are the cars for blokes that are going through Porsche pours. <laughs> it's a term that a car dealer mate of mine uh, quoted to me that describes the longing of a 40-year-old man to own a classic 911. And you know what? You can have some fun if you do like that kind of thing. You know, if you like going to the dentist and not having anaesthetic, you can have some fun by owning an old Porsche. And, you know, they certainly are interesting things to drive. Um, pedals offset to the left, floor hinged, motors that, you know, were kind of okay before the head studs pulled out of them and they shat themselves everywhere. Gearboxes that were kind of tricky to shift at best. Not much in the way of brakes and shocking handling. Incredible things. But they're the sort of car, if you can drive one fast and if you can get into the rhythm, then you basically are the next center. You're a genius because it was like they were just never meant to be driven fast. But, you know, people still do it and some of them actually walk out of it alive. So that's great. So let's run through. that. Unfortunately, I've never owned what they call a good Porsche. With the dinosaur Porsche Paws cars, the only one, in my opinion, that you would ever own, and I owned one, it was a, oh, what's the best way to describe it? It was a Franken Porsche. It was a nothing, but it was an everything. Actually started out life as a 1975 Carrera 3, or 1976 maybe, first of the galvanized cars, and we'll get, we'll get into that in a minute. But that um, was a really collectible car, but it wasn't by the time I got it, but someone had butchered the hell out of it, had a rough engine conversion done in it, R-U-F, not R-O-U-G-H. Um, it was turbocharged, had K26 turbo, the injection, the mechanical injection system, which is like a garden hose for fuel, or six garden hoses for fuel, had been hotted up. Uh, the timing had been juiced, and this thing just used to blow flame everywhere. Like, whenever you got off the throttle through its super-duper, super-wide arches and the big twin pipes out the back. It was just like looking at the um, pilot light on an oil refinery the whole time. It could light up the sky at night. This thing was absolutely incredibly stupid car. However, it did have about 400 horsepower or 300 kilowatts at the wheels in you know, a body or a package that was around about a tonne or just under. So 
it was spooky fast, had zero brakes, had a big dead spot in the steering, and at any given time, if you ever stepped on the throttle, it was going to kill you. So that was a cool Porsche to own. Didn't have crap like air conditioning. It didn't have a boost gauge at work. Had some really nice rough Recaros in it. All around a cool car, but they're few and far between in old Porsches. But what got me onto this? Well, a mate of mine, Nick, we'll call him, Nick Streckelson or Strakizen, which is his real name. He's always had an eye for old Porsches. He, he's had some good ones too, like GT3s and Ripper stuff. But he got this old thing. It was a 1972 uh, car, and we just laughed at him. It was a wide-body, hacked-up piece of junk. And we all laughed because a few years back, he bought it for 20 grand. And it ran not great, but he had to have a tinker with it, muck around with it. And I remember thinking at the time, that was 20 grand down the drain particularly when he did um, get it running on his um, impromptu improvised wrecking yard, which is better known as a tennis court, and the thing promptly caught fire. And through the fake whale tail, there was smoke, flames licking. You know, the things had high-pressure fuel injection through 30-, 40-year-old hoses and crappy remodeled fittings. Of course, they burnt. And when they burnt, they burnt pretty well, but... Nick, being a motorsport guy, had extinguishers on hand and managed to put the beast out before it went up. But, yeah, he did get the um, nickname of operating the Leebrook Bar and Grill because Whale Tail looks like a hot plate. He certainly made it into a hot plate. And, yeah, we've never let him uh, live it down. But, of course, he had the last laugh because he sold the car. It had the wrong motor in it and everything. He sold it and basically doubled his money after a few months. Then the guy that bought it on the other side of Australia, way up north, actually chased down a standard engine for it. And guess what? It was the matching number engine out of that car. So he's done a bit of work on it, put some narrow guards back on it, put the right, you know, engine that he probably bought for five or six thousand in it, and he's got a hundred and twenty thousand dollar car now. So he who laughs last laughs longest. So, of course, I decided to get into, you know, buying and selling and just generally having some involvement in some of these things. And I learned some pretty stiff lessons straight away. Most 911s that you come across that are reasonable money, i.e. cheap, not that there's such a thing as a cheap 911 anymore, but back in 2015 or 16, there were some reasonably cheap hackers around and you could buy them. Most of them were imports either from England, uh, the US, or Japan. The US cars, if they were Californian, you could kind of probably get away with it. They had some ugly shit the Americans did to them, like the horrible US, you know, California spec headlights and the big bumper overriders. And, you know, they if you, any of you have seen the Wolf of Wall Street, you would see that uh, uh, Countach Lamborghini that um, is driven in that movie, Jordan Belfort Drives, DiCaprio and it's got the got like like things that look like tennis rackets on the front of it on the bumper the Americans did some really ugly things to these cars and so when you get a US import you got to factor in you got to buy headlights for it you got to buy um, overriders or bumpers and a few other bits and pieces the mirrors are different um, and yeah it's going to cost you a few thousand dollars but one thing you're normally guaranteed of with an American 911 is that it's not totally rusted out. And really, ever since my days of playing with old Alphas, 
you know, back 10, 15 years before that even, I've never seen a car that can rust like a pre-galvanized 911 Porsche. My goodness, particularly the soldered road cars from England and Japan, they can have holes as, as big as tennis rackets in them, you know, that have been covered up with chicken wire, newspaper, uh, old cut-up number plates, and then finished off with several kilograms of body filler. And yeah, I owned one such Porsche once. I remember thinking it was a 2.7 and I thought, wow, this thing goes like a rocket. You know, this thing's not too bad. It's got a bit of rust in it, but it goes like a rocket. And it went like a rocket because there was nothing left of the body. You know, and these stories of people buying these cars and then finding that they're rusted out and completely stuffed are so common now because they just don't look hard enough. If you are looking at buying something like this, don't believe whoever's selling it to you. Go and get it checked by an independent Porsche specialist. Now, you know, I've, I've bought old 911s for cheap off independent Porsche specialists, and the owner has then, from, or the new owner, the person that's bought them from me from interstate, has then had them inspected by the local Porsche specialist, which so happened to be the person that sold it to me. And yeah, they've found three pages of faults. And, you know, that's when the bargaining about the price starts. So, if you go to a proper specialist, they will tell the truth, ugly as it can be. But if you're looking at a 911, you must really, really be aware that you are opening, if you're buying an old car, you know, like a, like a 964 and down, you are opening Pandora's box and, and you've got to deal with someone that knows what they're talking about. Really, really, truly. Now, I also found out that 911s are one of the most stolen and rebirth cars that you can buy. Be aware of this too. If you're buying a car in Australia and it's got to come from interstate, then it will have to have what's called a numbers check performed on it. And in South Australia, where I am, they are hardcore. They actually have a video upstairs in the inspection office that they train the inspectors with that shows them how to pick bodged 911s. And there are that, you know, I never understood why. Why, why the hell would you want to bodge up, steal and recover like a 20 or 30 grand 911? Like, surely there are better things you could be doing, like playing bingo or darts or something. But no, no, people do it. They cut little, they re-stamp body numbers, the rivets that are stamped, or they like rivet like little star stamps that are alongside the chassis number under the, under the front or the hood or whatever you want to call it, the front of the car the boot um they have to be a certain shape and you know then you you get cars that have got a number missing and even if the car's a bit legit and it's had two or three paint jobs under there our local vehicle inspection station used to make a habit of just saying oh there's something potentially wrong with this car and impounding it in the lockup till it can have a forensic examination which normally took between one to two months so imagine buying your new old shitbox Porsche and then having it locked up for eight weeks. And then they get come back to you and say, oh no, it's all right. Like the first one I bought was a left hooker, an American car that had been converted to right-hand drive. And the guy was a bodyguard and he'd done a beautiful job of it to the point where he took the original chassis number out and put it back in when he stitched the right-hand drive part in, you know, the, on the front firewall. He'd done a beautiful job of it, but no, no, no. Vehicle inspection saw that there had been some light work there and impounded the vehicle. All this guy wanted to do, and he had receipts. He had photos of it when he submitted it to 
vehicle inspection or to engineering years earlier, and they had approved this process, but no, 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 no. Apparently the right thing to do is not to do it properly like that, but to have mismatching body or chassis numbers on the car and then apply for what's called a surrogate VIN number. How stupid. Anyway, this happens a lot. What I can tell you is originality is if you want big bucks for a Porsche, if you want a car that's going to be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars or $150,000 or, you know, whatever a good 930 turbo is worth, then totally original is the way to go. Do not muck around. Do not buy a modified car. If, however, you're in a 50 to 100 grand bracket, then, you know, Franken Porsches are actually, what do they call them? Outlaws or, you know, some other wannabe cool name for a hotted up Volksy other way to go like you know they put like rsr fiberglass bars on them when the originals are all like smashed up and rusted out and they put lightweight racing panels on them and they all put the rs ducktail spoiler on them and you know fake um wheels and yeah they're actually quite cool and a lot of people even actually convert them back like an, a fuel injected sc or a 2.7 from the you know 78 backwards they convert them to triple carbs, you know, downdraft Webers that also like to catch fire, but, you know, that's an expensive conversion. That's like a four or five grand job, and then you're going to get someone to tune it and make it work. But if if you're into the lifestyle thing and you just want to go to cars and coffee, doesn't matter if it's a, if, if it's a highly modified, overpowered, rotten thing, as long as it's not rusty and it looks cool, because that's when you'll get to enjoy driving it. In fact, going back to my mate Nick, he had the ultimate Franken Porsche of all. I reckon it was a 2.7, like an old dumb Targa. You know, Targa's weren't as desirable as the hard tops. You know, now they're pulling pretty good money, but most of this old junk is. Um, and this had a 2.7 in it that some clown had actually just bolted a turbocharger to. He hadn't even put a turbo engine in it. And he, Nick bought it from a really old Croatian guy. He called it the wheel stander because apparently every time you hit the throttle, this old um, Targa actually pulled the front wheels off the ground. So we were all excited when Nick picked it up and said, let's see this old pile of junk do a wheel stand. Well, yeah, the only way it was going to do a wheel stand was when it was getting towed behind a tow truck. It hardly ran. To give Nick his shoes, he went through it and made it run and made it run pretty cool. And it turned out not to be a bad thing, but... There is so much, it brings me to my point of this part of the conversation, there is so much urban myth and legend when it comes to 9-11s that I really ask that if you are serious and you do want to own one, don't believe what anyone tells you. That is what everyone does wrong. They get caught up in the romance of the moment. You know, they want to be James Dean and put on their white t-shirt and their overly tight 501s or whatever they wear these days and their boat shoes as they're going through Porsche pours and cruise with what little bit of their hair they've got left blowing around their face with their wayfarers on and think they're pretty cool and you know you can thank movies for bad boys like that even though that was actually a proper cool turbo Porsche um, but yeah don't believe what anyone tells you make sure you sit your ass in the car make sure you drive the car because 
I know you spend a lot of time looking at it and you'll spend a lot of time talking about it and you'll definitely spend a lot of time with your old Porsche in the repair shop. Nothing's cheap, nothing's easy, and yes, they break down all of the time. So make sure that when you do drive it, that it's something that you actually want to drive and you get some enjoyment out of it. Make sure that you have other friends that understand your mental illness as to why you want to own something like this in the first place. Maybe they own one too, and that would be quite cool. Or even better, scrap the whole idea, save only a couple of bucks more for some rusted, repaired, bodged, fiberglass, panelled, engine-converted piece of shit and buy a 996 Turbo. Because to me, they are, even if it's a Tiptronic, I don't give a stuff. The manual gearboxes that, you know, when they were new, they're nice to use. Normally all the linkages are worn out and they're stuffed now anyway. A Tiptronic, a Tiptoe as I call them, 996 Twin Turbo, providing it's original and not stuffed with, is a brilliant car. It's fast. People go, but I don't like the headlights, but they look like a box of well stiff shit. If that's, you know, what saves you 50 or 100 grand over the next model, put up with the headlights and put a bit of black tape over them so they look round like a 997. You can do that. Because this is a car you'll actually like to drive. It's a car that's actually pretty reliable. It's the last, one of the last, it's a, one of the, I think the last of the Mezga turbo engines or something like that, which is some holy grail of, you know, poor shit that doesn't explode. They're normally aspirated ones, had what they call IMS problems, like some intermediate shaft that ran through the motor, all the bearings fell out of it, fell through your motor, and the whole thing exploded. That's no reason not to buy one now, because 20 years down the track, or whatever it is, you're over 20 years down the track, all those problems have been gone and been fixed and done right. So don't let that stop you from buying a normally aspirated one either. So here's Martin's hot tip of the day. If you do want to buy one, find a 996 twin turbo, or for slightly less money, a 997 Series 2 manual. They are a very nice car as well. Or, best of all, stop being a dreamer, go and buy some Lotto or Powerball tickets, win, and get yourself a new Turbo or GD3 RS because, you know, that is the pinnacle. I'll say that because my mate Kevin hasn't let me drive his GD2 RS yet, and I'm not really game to because one rim is worth more than my entire life. Thank you for the offer, Kev, but... It's not going to be happening anytime soon. So I hope you enjoyed what I've had to say about the Porsches. I actually do love them. You know, the brand has won so many races and done so many good things that, you know, you can't bag it out. I'm bagging out some of what's being passed off these days as being good cars, and they're not. They're crap. that lightly warmed over and patched up and full of bog. But if you do your homework right, you go to a specialist that knows what they're talking about, you still can... Get yourself a decent car for reasonable money. Is the price bubble going to last forever on Porsches? Traditionally, no, it hasn't. It's gone up and down over the years. I think we're on the way down now. So by mid-2021, there will be some COVID bargains around if you're prepared to hold out and wait that long. So I hope you enjoyed um, me giving some advice on cars. It's something I know a little bit about, not a lot about. I have owned a few of these things. No, I haven't raced them with the wind through the three hairs that I've got left and had fantasies about being Tom Cruise. No, not at all. I'm an old man and I like Porsches where the air conditioning works. But if you have any suggestions of other brands, I've owned most brands of car over the years, apart from Lamborghinis. I haven't owned one of those. I don't intend to at any time soon. I've worked on enough of them. That's enough for me and been around the people that own them. In fact, 
the current generation of owners are brilliant and the older generation owners are brilliant. It's kind of like it's a brand that sort of time forgot when you pull them apart because it's VW Audi Group, but some of the build quality, particularly in the early Galados, was a bit um, kit car. However, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Email me through some more uh, suggestions and I'll talk to you about what it is that I know if I know anything at all and if I don't I'll tell you I'll happily tell you I don't and I hope you enjoyed that opening track too Austin Powers now there's a man that's very near and dear to my old heart thank you for listening to Range Anxiety <laughs>